Lord Jesus Christ, you have done great things for us. Lord, I pray that we would encounter you this morning. Open our hearts that we might hear from you. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Don't you love that story? <laughs> I've, I've, I'm preaching on the gospel passage again, and um, I've, I've preached this several times at Restoration, and uh, every time it just, uh, I don't know, just becomes more vibrant to me. Um, and uh, yeah, a, a few weeks ago I talked about passages at Restoration that I hope really become kind of key passages for us. Uh, I, I said that in the context of Revelation 21, how that seems like a restoration passage, uh, and this is one of those. Um, not to say that, it's, uh, that, that certain parts of Scripture are, are more holy and sacred than others, but with different communities, different passages just resonate in particular ways, and, and I feel like this is one of them. So this is the season of ordinary Welcome, welcome to Ordinary Tide. Yeah, woo. every year by the, by the point uh, I, that we get to this, all the staff are like, okay, <laughs> like Ordinary Time. Uh, seeing so many people in the room though have us kind of wondering like, oh my goodness, what, this is gonna be a, a, an, an interesting Ordinary Time. So we'll, we'll see how this Ordinary Time uh, takes shape as, as we continue through this summer. If that is an unfamiliar term to you, Ordinary time is the season in between Trinity Sunday, which was last Sunday, and the first week of December, uh, or I'm sorry, the first week in Advent, which is about December-ish. And so this is a a six-month-long season, and it's a season in which we ask ourselves, as God's redeemed people, what is the ordinary work that he has for us? What is the ordinary work of the Christian? In light of all the things that we've witnessed in the first half of the church calendar, what does God have for us in our daily, ordinary, um, sun-filled lives? So today's gospel reading, the the passage uh, from Luke chapter 8 of the Gerasene demoniac, is actually told three times uh, in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all tell this story. And every time they tell this story, there's, there's another story that always comes immediately before it. Do you know what that is? The calming of the sea. The calming of the sea. Next, sometimes I, I, I want to I ask more questions of, of us. You know? so let's, feel free to, to participate. Uh, Larry's good at participating. I was, I, was a little, I was a little surprised, Larry, that you didn't answer that one for me. So every time before this story is Jesus calming the sea. And so the disciples are there at the Sea of Galilee, and, and for some reason, Jesus wants to go to the other side of the sea. And so they all get into the boat, they, get, they go into the sea, they start rowing across, and then it gets dark, night falls. And not only does it become dark, but this huge storm just kind of comes out of nowhere and attacks them, basically. And the disciples are freaking out. Jesus is asleep in the boat. He, they wake him up because they think they're about to die because they're in this boat in the middle of the sea. They don't know what's happening. It's crazy. And Jesus just turns to the heavens and he says, stop. And the storm actually stops. Well, then finally the disciples arrive to the other side of the sea, or of the other side, yeah, the other side of the, this big lake. And as they're standing there on the beach, barely even having a moment to catch their breaths, 
this crazy man comes barreling down the hill at them from a graveyard, no less. And before we actually dive into this passage, I I think we have to ask the question, how does someone get like that? How is it that someone is is unclothed and crazy and screaming and and is so filled with demons like, like this? Now, obviously, this is speculation, but uh, N.T. Wright, who's a a New Testament scholar, he's an Anglican bishop, he he talks about how not too long before this would have happened, entire legions of of Roman armies, which is, I think, like 600 to 1,000 soldiers um, large, entire legions would be, uh, came through this part of the country and absolutely decimated the landscape. Uh, they came in and they seized control. And w- this part of the, the country that they're in, they're all very small villages. They had, they, they had no chance against the Romans. And so perhaps this man was absolutely awestruck by the power that he witnessed. Maybe he saw that, that fierce display of raw power and he was sort of enchanted by it. Maybe he thought about enemies in his own life and how he wished that he could just squash them. Maybe he started to do that. Maybe he started to enact his rage out upon smaller things in his life. And as he enjoyed his power, as he enjoyed this, he started to enact his rage and his violence against larger, more significant things. And then at some point, demonic forces took advantage of that and entered into him and took him to even more desolate, evil places. And before long, he's able to say, I am legion. I have an entire army of power and of destruction coursing through my body. So at some point, his violent strength became a threat to the community. And so he was constrained, or attempted to be constrained, but he was removed and shunned out from the community. So on one hand, this might sound kind of far-fetched. This might sound like just sort of an ancient myth of some sort. It might come across as perhaps superstitious to us with modern sensibilities. But my goodness, just look through our national headlines. You know, any quick survey would seem to indicate that Legion is very much at work in our society. And maybe one of the reasons why we here in our nation have a very hard time grappling with extreme acts of violence is because of our modern sensibilities, we lack the proper categories for this type of thing. We don't understand entirely how to deal with this kind of thing. So let's take a look into this passage. So there's three things I wanna say about Legion and then we'll talk about Jesus. So the Bible says that this man had not been wearing clothes uh, for a long time. Uh, The community was absolutely terrified of him. They tried to shackle him. They tried to chain him. Uh, And the message is clear. We we see this person as barely even a person anymore. He's he's really coming across in this passage more like a a wild animal than a human being. And we know from other stories of, of people who are treated like this for a long time that they start to believe the things that the community tells them about themselves. They actually begin to think of themselves as subhuman. When Mark tells this story in in his gospel account, he he shares that this person had actually been hurting himself. So sometimes we're we're tempted to think of evil simply as like a a moral category, but so often it's it's more than that. Well, it is more than just a spiritual category. You see, the effects of evil, evil affects our minds, as well as our bodies. 
My point is that evil destroys our health. Evil has an effect upon our health, our mental health, our physical health. So evil might feel good at first. With that decision might come a sense of empowerment, a sense of freedom, a a, a sense of uh, a, a new strength that has come upon you. But make no mistake, what we see here, this man living among the tombs, is the final trajectory of evil. What begins feeling good and liberating eventually ends up here. Evil will try to dehumanize you. Evil will try to corrode the way in which you think. It'll attempt to break your body. Evil will destroy your health. Well, next we see that Luke says that, that, or that Jesus points out that this man had not lived in his home for a long time. He lives among the tombs. So in other words, he's lost his family. He's been disconnected from his family. He's, he's been disconnected from where he works. He's been disconnected from, from who he has lived, worked, and, and who his family has uh, been with for generations, basically. And now he lives among the tombs, hasn't seen his parents, perhaps his siblings. Who knows? Maybe he's married. But now he has none of that. He can't go home. So you've heard me say several times that the devil divides devil divides. Those, those two words come from the same root. The devil divides. And in this instance, we see that the devil has divided this man, has removed his, this man from his home, from his community, from his family, and has isolated him even further into this place of death. Evil destroys our home. Thirdly, we see in verse 28 that this man cries out to Jesus, and he says, what do you have to do with me? Have you ever asked that question before? Have you ever asked someone, what are you doing here? Sometimes that question comes from a place of shame. Oh no, what are you doing here? Why are you here? You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't see me doing these things. You shouldn't see me in this condition. What in the world are you doing here? In other words, this man feels like he should have nothing to do with Jesus. Evil in this instance has destroyed his heart. Evil has convinced him that he cannot experience the love of Jesus right now. Evil destroys the heart. Jesus, you are a holy man and I am unclean. What are you doing here? You are clean and I am bleeding. You have disciples, I have demons. You are alive and I live among the tombs. And this is perhaps one of the greatest tragedies of this story, is that this man has descended to a point which he believes that he is truly unlovable and that he cannot experience the love of God. Evil destroys our health, it destroys our home, and it destroys our heart. Now, it's easy to hear this story and perhaps think of other people in your life. We might look at this man and, and we might want to, to think of this man as an enemy of God. You know, he's one of those. But I would want to encourage us to think of this as, as a friend, as a family member, perhaps even yourself. Perhaps you resonate with this story Perhaps you have allowed evil habits into your life which threaten your sense of wholeness and health. Or maybe you've allowed evil to separate you from people who you love. Or maybe you even feel that you yourself are unlovable by God himself. There's good news here. I promise this is not a Lenten sermon. (laughs) There's good news here. And that's that God sees you. God sees you. And he knows you and he wants to restore you. He came down from heaven. 
He looked across a sea of chaos. He traveled through the thickest of darkness. He traveled through and even defeated a storm so that he would stand with you in the middle of that graveyard and call you by name. Jesus sees you and he loves you. So when Jesus comes face to face with this man, he says, in fact, Luke's story doesn't even tell us, uh, doesn't report of Jesus saying anything. It's almost as if Jesus just sort of like flicks his wrist and all that demon, that entire army of darkness just descends into the sea. That army of hate and of violence and of destruction, legion is thrown into the sea by Jesus. And this man is cleansed. This beloved man is cleansed from all evil. So our story begins with this really disturbing, terrifying image, and then by the end of which, we see that he is clothed, he's sitting in his right man, right, or he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, uh, he's asking Jesus questions, he's talking and befriending the disciples. This is a good whole picture, a picture of life. Jesus can restore health. And then we see at the end of the story, in verse 38, the man comes and says, I want to go with you, I want to go with you. And what happens? Jesus says, no, I I have something else for you. Return to your home. I wonder who's waiting for him there. Who, Who in that town has been praying for him, hoping for him to come back? Is it his parents, his wife, his children, his aunties and his uncles? This man gets to go back home. I wonder what they ate as a celebration meal. (laughs) And what I also love about this passage is is not only does this man get to go back home, but this is also evidence that that Jesus didn't give up on that community. Did you you hear the community is like, whoa, this is terrifying. Jesus, please get into your boat. And Jesus does. He respects them. But he also says to this man, hey, go back to this community. Maybe they'll listen to you. Tell them everything that God has done for you. Jesus always has more hope in our loved ones, in our communities, than sometimes we ourselves have. Jesus wants to restore our homes. And then thirdly, when this man has evil removed from him, he's able to love God well. He's able to love God well. He wants to stay with Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to listen to the teachings of Jesus. He wants to submit to Jesus. His life is utterly transformed. In other words, his passions are pointed in the right direction at Jesus Christ. He says, I want more of you, Jesus. But Jesus has a plan for him. He says, go back to your home. Share how much God has done for you. In other words, I have set free your heart Now put it to use. Tell others, share this newfound passion and joy and love that you have with your entire community. You have been set free. I wonder what it would have been like to hear this man's voice. The the excitement that would just be rattling through his his lungs at that moment. I, I wish I could hear this story in his own words. What are those details that we don't even know about that this man could have told us? You know, there he'd be walking into the town, and I'm sure as people saw him coming, they'd probably start trembling, right? But he'd be like, look at me, I'm not going to hurt you. Jesus of Nazareth has healed me, he's cleansed me, he's set me free. My sin, my demons, my problems, they've been dealt with forever, they've been cast into the depths of the sea. 
And now this man, he has experienced the love of God, and so now he's able to love his neighbors well. Jesus restores our health, he restores our home, and he restores our heart. So I've shared this story before, admittedly last time I preached this passage, but it's so good, I have to share this again. I just love this because I feel like it articulates uh, the the calling of the church. Um, And then Molly wanted me to point out that we first heard this story at uh, uh, the Culture Summit, so come to the Culture Summit next time we offer that. There's there's a plug for that. But uh, this, this brilliant, courageous woman, her name is Shannon Davis, uh, is the CEO of something called the Bridgeway Foundation, which, which you should Google this, bridgewayfoundation.org. Uh, it's a Christian human rights group that battles against genocides. Awesome, cool. Uh, and her organization uh, has a, a particular focus on rebel groups in Central Africa. Wow. And so these, these rebel groups, what they do is they, they attack villages and they, they take people who are vulnerable uh, and small from those communities and they enlist them in, great, <laughs> and they enlist them in their armies to go and fight. So they go and they hide in the forests and, and then they attack others. Uh, it's just absolutely terrible. Well, this, this one boy, uh, this one man, uh, David Akiti, uh, he was one of these young men who was once captured, but then later he was able to escape, and he found himself uh, eventually with the Bridgeway Foundation, and he had a brilliant idea of how to encourage other soldiers to actually leave this army. So David found out the name of another soldier, went to his home village, found his mother, and asked her to record man, I'm really emotional today, (laughs) and asked her to record a message. Uh, They then got into a helicopter and they blared this message into the forest. It's come home, my son. I've never stopped waiting for you. I've never stopped waiting for you. Now, obviously, that's a message from one mother speaking specifically to one son, but the, the miracle of this is as they did these missions, over 730 men left the army and walked out of it. Now, you might not be a a rebel soldier hiding in a forest. Uh, You might not be a tortured soul uh, crying in the tombs. But maybe you've had seasons in your life where you've felt that way. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe there's actually a lot uh, that you resonate with those things. But this is ordinary time. And what's ordinary for Jesus is just wild for us. He is in the ordinary business of rescuing men and women. That's what this is about. He rescues us from the clutches of evil when we think that all hope is lost. And this is what he does all throughout ordinary time and and the whole church here, okay? (laughs) Sometimes we can get a little hung up on the church calendar. But this is the ordinary business of Jesus is he restores us, regardless of the odds, regardless of the evil forces that are stacked against us. He restores us back to home. He restores us back to one another, and he restores us back to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for descending into our darkness, for standing among the tombs, for reaching down and picking us up, 
Lord, I pray for those here who feel like they are stuck, who feel like they are in the tombs, who feel like they are unworthy, unlovable. Jesus, may you break into our hearts. May you touch us. Lord, may you give us clothes of your righteousness. May you fill our ears with your teaching, Lord. May you fill our hearts with your passion that we can't help but share with others and with one another the glorious things that you've done among us. Lord Jesus, may this place, restoration, be a place where we tell the story of your goodness and your grace over and over and over again, that people might be amazed that this is a place where your glory dwells, where you encounter and transform lives. We ask this, Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen.